Not everyone can be friends with cultural icons and influencers like me and Alana. But everyone can subscribe to Dirt, a daily-ish free email about entertainment. Where else would we find out about Brian Eno's $30 app or why everyone is suddenly dressing like a Pokemon trainer? Let Dirt be your new best pal. Visit dirt.fyi to subscribe for free today. Well, I like Los Angeles because I can go to the beach, the desert, the mountains, and the theater all in the same day. And where else can you do that? Welcome, everybody, once again to Free Validation, the West Coast Style podcast about West Coast Style. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Alana Hope Levinson. Today's episode is one that I've been waiting for for so long. So long, Alana. We are finally talking about the most important part of Los Angeles style and culture, which is Judaism. (laughs) We're talking about Jews. It's so important that I am just stricken, bed stricken with COVID, but I got out of bed to kvetch with two other Jewish kings. I couldn't say no. Yeah, Alana is uh, a little under the weather, as you can probably tell from from her voice. But again, like she said, she couldn't help it. She had to be here for us to talk to Jason Diamond. He's an author. He's an editor. He does public speaking. What doesn't he do? He is a big-time eater. He does everything. Jason is from Illinois, but he is really most known as one of the great arbiters of true New York style, true New York culture. Not the sort of fashion streetwear that you see, but like people doing it for themselves, people wearing knockoff Gucci, people, you know, just like being their best older Jewish selves in New York. But he also has a kind of a connection to LA and he's in LA for the next couple of weeks working on a very secret project that I cannot talk about, but he's here today to talk to us about why Jewish culture is so important to Los Angeles, why we as Jewish people in LA love it here so much, but why Jewish culture in LA has trickled down to the masses. And what is the best deli in Los Angeles is, of course, a question I had to ask Jason today. What's the most important part of the podcast? So stick around for the end, because you need to hear Jason, Alana, and myself argue, as only three Jewish people can, about the best deli in the city. So please, strap in, stay tuned, light your Shabbos candles, and prepare for Jason Diamond on free validation. Our guest this week is somebody that I've been an admirer of for a long time. Author, style writer, food writer, and just general cultural icon, Jason Diamond. Jason, thank you for coming on the pod this week. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited. You are such a New York guy. I perceive you as like the New York version of me. Yes. And when we finally met, it was like the mega powers exploding. If you know that wrestling reference, this when Hulk Hogan and Macho Man do this very elaborate handshake. It was great hanging out with you, but you are just this like New York guy. So I wonder like just off the bat, you being in Los Angeles right now, how are you feeling? How is it being away from good bagels and pizza? <laughs> the bagels are pretty good. I've had some good pizza also, I think. But um, Did you go to Courage Bagels yet? No, I did not go to Courage Bagels yet. I went to Yeasty Boys, and, I'm, you know, I was happy. Let's talk about the fact that you are an appreciator of Los Angeles. You are so associated with New York. Like I said, you've written so many great things about the style of New York, the, the kind of literary beating heart of the city. Where did your love of L.A. come from, and what do you love about L.A.? Um, I always tell the story that uh, when I was a kid, I had an uncle that lived out here and he just, he just bought into it. He just moved from New York and he was just, you know, a chill guy. The minute he, he hit Los Angeles, whereas everybody in my family was very neurotic and loud and, 
<laughs> always arguing he just seemed very chill and very zen and all the stereotypical stuff you hear but it all it really does you know it doesn't make anybody perfect by any means obviously but i think it's it's just a chiller kind of life out here obviously i'm not preaching to the choir <laughs> that's right i mean when we were at dinner last week you said like you don't like the fact that it's so quiet at night it's very strange to me. I mean, um, it's funny because I wrote my second book was about the suburbs, but I, I, I kept explaining to people like most of my life has been spent in cities, and um, mostly those two those two cities are New York and Chicago, which are both pretty noisy cities. Um, and um, you're always waiting for something to break or uh, <laughs> some siren outside your window, and you just sort of. I don't know. It just kind of, it's not a rhythm, but it's the sounds of home, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I mean, some people can't sleep unless the sounds of screaming into the void or piercing the night. Yeah. I don't understand the New York of it all. I don't. I, I... Yeah, I need an ambulance to lull me to sleep. <laughs> we have these neighbors that we really like and every summer. I joke. I'm like, you know, summer has kicked off when the drama starts. And it's just like they're always fighting about something. And it was really quiet up until like the week before I left. And then one of the neighbors had a fight with his girlfriend. And it's just like been descending since I left. Like he threw all of her stuff out the window. She smashed his car window. And, you know, that's around 1130 at night on a weeknight. <laughs> just classic lullaby stuff. Yeah. Just kind of zone out to it. <laughs> not for me but you're you're staying in this this complex called village green which is sort of near culver city baldwin hills almost it's off obama boulevard and that i imagine is the quietest place in the entire world like there's nobody like going around throwing bottles or like screaming or anything it's it's wild it's a historical complex that i think i forget when it was built you said you knew a little bit about the history of it if you want to enlighten us it started, I think, in the 30s. Um, I, I want to say it may have some connection to the New Deal, but I can't recall exactly. I'm not a, a historian of, of New Deal stuff. But it, it basically like kind of came up when there was just not enough places for people to live. And I wouldn't say this is like a utopian-minded, like, um, I've been to some like some planned communities that definitely have this very, like, like the socialism is just caked into the into the design, which I, I love that. Like, oh, we can all share everything. But here it's just like a little, a little tiny village that everyone just kind of walks around and it's very lush and um, it's lovely. I'm pretty blown away by it. Yeah, there is something, though, utopian about it, I think. Even if it's not explicitly like, this is the mission, we're going to bring people together, and it's socialist and all that stuff. It's still, like, in L.A., there's this baked-in idea of, you are here because you want to live a better life. And I think a lot of people perceive the idea of living a better life to either be a sham or some some sort of, like, grift, or it's just something that's not possible and that, the thing that you think is going to be perfect is going to end up being a disaster. I, I just feel that like constant yearning for betterment in LA. It's the promise of the West, you know? That's always what it's been. Yes, it is, exactly. But it's funny, it still feels so much like that here. And there are a lot of books, like City of Quartz is this book that's about, you know, LA as this spiritual new, way, new age hub but then it's constantly poking holes in that and being like, actually, these people were racist or they were grifters or blah, blah, blah. Or they're yoga bombs who don't want to get vaxxed or you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. It's, we're constantly changing. And, and that's what I love about L.A. is that even though I do love the history of everything, like the evolution of it and the attempts to perfect this place. And one of the neighborhoods that's changed the most is Boyle Heights. Mm -hmm. And Jason, I think you are one of the experts on Jewish secular culture, not the Talmud or the Torah or anything, but like <laughs> beautiful secular culture that is American Jewry. And Boyle Heights, for those that don't know, was for a long time, a very 
Jewish neighborhood. And there was some kind of sprinkling of utopianism there of like there were union halls and socialist gathering places and and Jews would would have this neighborhood that they tried to kind of turn into an East Coast like replica. Uh, we, and we stole the Dodgers from Brooklyn. Like there's a lot of East Coast transplants energy that ended up in LA. And LA, of course, you know, Boyle Heights now is a predominantly Latino neighborhood. Um, and that's just, again, like how things change and how people move around. But why do you think it is that LA Jewish people, me and Alana specifically, are so fascinated with New York Jewish culture? Yes. By the way, Shout out three Jewish kings on one podcast. Boom. This never happened. <laughs> Basically a minion. Basically a minion. I was going to say we need six more and then we're good to go. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good. This is this is a podcast minion. It's the three. power, the, the combined power is a minion. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, I, I think there's something. I think about this a lot. And it's like when Jews, and I'm, I'm talking Ashkenazi, I'm talking Sephardic, I'm talking, you know, when Jews started coming to America. I, I think like I'm gonna go with this is probably a lowball number, but I would say like 75 percent probably ended up making their way through New York. The rest probably were Baltimore or some other port on the East Coast, but they likely had to like live in squalor. Like they just they were like we're coming from this one terrible uh, situation where a Cossack just literally chased us to the edge of Europe. Or something like that, and now you know we're living, we're sharing a toilet with fifty other people, and um, there's all these weird diseases in the water, and there's like a the, the black hand or whatever they call him, like the mafia guy, ruining our lives, making us give him money. But you know, it's not so bad. It's actually pretty chill. And so like that just kind of continues the narrative of like this culture that's just like we suffer we just that's it we just go to sh terrible places but then i think you know in the, in the early 20th century to the middle of the 20th century you start seeing that migration first i don't know which one came first but to los angeles and to south florida <laughs> and suddenly jewish people were like hey we can live a nice life this isn't so bad the two genders <laughs> la and south florida truly Truly. Absolutely. The only two that matter to me. Yeah. You know, and I just think it's there's something kind of beautiful about that. It's like, really, when you really think about it, the first time in centuries that Jews could go somewhere and be like, this is peaceful, was Los Angeles. I mean, I think about that quite often. And, um, you know, like it, it sure beats any tenement house that i could probably rent out for five thousand dollars now on the lower east side <laughs> yeah I, I feel like um the west side of los angeles is the promised land the real promised land not israel the west side zions yeah yes you need to make birthright to uh pico and westwood oh my god at the next passover we're gonna say next year in westwood in los angeles yeah westwood <laughs> let's go next year in century city i think to piggyback off what you're saying, there is this feeling of renewal and it can be better here for everybody, but specifically for Jews. And I think that's why in my mind, you have the characters of Jewish fiction, popular fiction. In New York, they're often these awkward, nebbishy, sort of like pathetic, physically repulsive, like, you know, if you're talking about Portnoy's complaint or something, like it's they're just like gross and they have these problems, these neuroses. But when you think about the great Jewish LA figures, I love Albert Brooks, obviously. I know you love Albert Brooks. And I don't think of Albert Brooks as like pathetic. You know what I mean? I think of him as a fast talking kind of like hipster guy who lived in, you know, a great house and drove a Mercedes and stuff. But what I really want to talk about is the macho Jewish figure in LA. Elliot Gould, James Kahn, all these like tough guys that I associate not with New York, but with LA and specifically Elliot Gould because of movies like The Long Goodbye and California Split, those great Altman movies he was in. 
What is it about LA as a city, as a backdrop for these characters that makes it uh, so that you can have these tough guy, like masculine Jewish characters? I, I like to think about how like when you, if you're Jewish or you're from New York, which, you know, as Lenny Bruce famously said, you're from new york and you're catholic you're still jewish <laughs> but i think there is something about like people who have that background of the new york the east coast and that's sort of like hustler just sort of gritty probably a, a little too rough around the edges sometimes and i think it just it just kind of like you stick out a little bit and i think you know obviously like elliot and and, and jimmy Conn are, are perfect examples of that like you know even like i don't know like not not jewish but i think a lot about um god if, if this isn't la i think it is but i love i was thinking about roger rabbit the other night and bob hoskins who he's not jewish that's a deeply la movie one of the most la movies of all time i thought so i just wanted to make sure but um you know i was thinking i'm like you know it's bob hoskins first of all he's hairy and, and short and fat so i mean if you told me he was jewish i'd be like yeah absolutely that makes sense. But like, to me, he's like a perfect character that just like the weed in the flower garden. And I'm fascinated with those kinds of characters. And I think those kinds of characters make for great movie characters. And especially in the seventies, when America was sort of reeling from this like post peace and love sort of, you know, hippy dippy vibe. A guy like Elliot could, you know, live next door to a bunch of naked women, literally like naked hippie women who are outside smoking weed at all hours of the day and, uh, in, in, you know, in the long goodbye and sort of just be like, eh, whatever, who cares? <laughs> There's something appealing about that, about like being in the Garden of Eden and being like, I, I, I don't need that apple. I'm good. Yeah. You know what? I, I have I have a problem with with sugar and i just i'm gonna skip it yeah that's that's what i would be nah, i'm good it's gonna give me i'm gonna get gas i have ibs <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean on the other hand to me like you know there's all these different like new york jewish it's like you look at someone like fran lebowitz and you could love her you could hate her but i'm like she has literally made a career out of complaining <laughs> and there's something so being her style is great in the snap. I'm like, that's so great to me. Like, you know, that I want more people who just complain like that. But to me, the quintessential New York Jew is always going to be Nora Ephron. And the thing is, you can't get to New York Nora without Nora Ephron growing up in Beverly Hills. So it's like she was born in New York, then came here. So it's like, that's the beautiful synergy to me. Yeah, it, it's uh, sort of like Joan Didion, is that, oh, L.A. was important, but she wasn't really an L.A. person, per se, but it was part of her story kind of thing. Obviously, this is like anecdotal. I don't have any uh, large-scale data to back this up, but something something that when I moved here and I started dating Rafi, who's my boyfriend that comes from a very big Jewish L.A. family, that a lot of the things I associated with being Jewish were actually just being a New Yorker. Not that Jews here don't complain, because obviously that's sort of a part of us. But I do think, especially with his family, like I was, I was like, they're not that neurotic, honestly. Like they, you know, the aesthetic is very different to me. Um, they're obviously there's just like intellectual bent that runs through, I think, all Jewish people. And there's definitely anxiety. But I think that that's difference to me um and you know obviously larry david i think of him when i think of la jew but he's in new york yeah and that's part of why he doesn't fit in here it's because he's so new york that's the show the show is like this guy dropped into this yeah world that he deems to be chaotic when like if you watch the show as a person from la you're like well, what's he, why is he complaining about this who cares like the uh, one of my favorite episodes is the the do the episode where he goes to the Dodger game and he wants to get through into the <laughs> the diamond lane, so he hires a prostitute. <laughs> you would just accept it, like oh whatever, all right, I'm just gonna sit here. Like we accept things in Los Angeles. We are the great acceptors. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. No worries. It's all good. These are things that people here constantly say, 
and I, I, I have been told to stop doing that, to stop saying no worries about everything. <laughs> and uh, I can't. I literally can't do that. I need everyone to know that I am not bothered. Oh, God, that's so true. That is my neuroses. Is, oh, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Whereas New Yorkers relate on everything not being okay all the time. It sucks. Everything sucks. When, when I say thank you to somebody and they say no worries, which is something people say, I literally will look at them and I'm like, why should I be worried? My responsibility as a human being on this planet is to let everybody know that nothing matters, that we are only on this planet for a brief period of time, that stars will extinguish and uh, be born, and I will not witness 99% of what happens in the history of the galaxy. And by saying no worries, I let people know there's nothing to worry about because we're all going to be dead one day. That's my point. No worries is the most powerful two words in the English language. Yeah, back to the Jewish thing and worrying. Um, Rafi's dad, who is like everyone thinks would love Curb because they're like the same age. They look similar. And when you he cannot watch it. He's like, it makes me so uncomfortable and anxious. I hate Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I'm like, what? And I was that is an L.A. Jew thing to me. I'm like, I just relate so deeply to him. And to, to take it back to Albert Brooks, who I think is, again, the quintessential Jewish L.A. comedic figure, I don't perceive him as a worrier in most of the movies. In most of his films, he is this character who thinks it's all going to work out. He's an optimist. He's a dreamer. I think Lost in America is probably the greatest Albert Brooks-directed movie that there is. And he is so enamored with the vision of dropping out of society and it's going to be great and we're going to buy an RV and we're going to go to Vegas and it's going to be so fun. We're going to renew our vows. That's what's funny to me about it is that he thinks it's going to be okay and that it isn't. But I wonder, Jason, what did you find appealing about, about Albert Brooks as a persona, as a character, as a comedian, as a filmmaker? And do you associate him primarily with Los Angeles or do you feel like that is not a cultural connection that's necessary to understand his work? I mean, I think first I saw his comedy. I don't remember when, but I remember it, you know, as a kid seeing Albert Brooks and he was doing, I think, I, I want to say it was like the, sometimes when I was a kid, you would see like the morning they'd replay a Carson episode. And I saw him doing something. I'm like, this guy's weird. He's sort of like Steve Martin, but obviously Jewish. Um, they, you know, that, that was like me at like six. Um, but, you know, the first movie I ever saw of his was Defending Your Life. And um, I think I think about that now in this certain sort of context with like L.A., which going back, another Steve Martin connection, like with L.A. story, another movie that's not, LA, but it's, it's Southern California is my blue heaven is another one of my favorite films of all time. And like these films, they all sort of have this like very like uh, baby boomer yuppie or baby boomer mafia guy in the case of Steve Martin in my blue heaven, you know, sort of reassessing everything and sort of kind of having this, just like this trying to find clarity. And it's like, they don't, you're living in LA where everything, sh you know, you, you, everything, I think everybody outside of here assumes everybody has clarity or thinks they have clarity. And, um, you know, these guys are like looking for, for deeper meaning in life and using, I think the city as, or the, the, the region as sort of a, um, a backdrop to that. And I, th I think there's something really lovely and deep about uh, Brooks sort of being like, you know, there's a lot more to the world than we think. Like kind of like what you were saying about how uh, everything's going to be okay and you know we're all going to die one day and this and that. I think Brooks just sort of has this idea of like expansiveness and there's more beauty that we that we sort of uh, give the world credit for. We should be out sort of enjoying that, but things will distract us along the way, obviously, and we're going to have comic misadventures through that, or we die. And we end up in heaven with Meryl Streep. <laughs> and that movie, Defending Your Life, is so much about like overcoming fear and being afraid of what could happen and being selfless. 
those are things that Daniel Miller, the character in the movie, he can't understand not being afraid. And even though that's kind of different than the character I was sort of describing earlier with, with Albert, I think that need to get to that point, like that character arc of being afraid and then not being afraid and how you can be a better person is so unique to Los Angeles. As Alana and I were talking in our last episode about self-improvement and self-help and like physical beauty and how you make yourself physically better and how that kind of often connects to emotional self-improvement. And I think uh, it's, it is connected. That idea of like being better is always on my mind. How can I be a better person physically, emotionally, uh, psychologically, sexually, all of that stuff. I'm trying to be better. Yeah. And I think with lost in America, I think the first time I saw it, I was like, probably like 17 or 18. And I, I, I think I immediately realized this is sort of a take on how Americans just believe there's a magic bullet solution for everything. And I just, you know, that, that to me was just like, oh, he's making fun of that. It's obviously deeper than that. But like, I, I think we're going to take a long time to really truly understand just how genius Albert Brooks is. You know, I, I think people love him and he's got his fans and uh, his obsessives. But I think it's the same thing with his brother. I mean, his brother was a genius, uh, comedic genius, and like God level. You know, everybody talks about him like a like, you know, Super Dave and all that stuff. But I just think we're still kind of getting to understand how great Albert Brooks is, which is insane to me. I'm glad you brought up his brother Bob, Bob Einstein, um, because of course he was such an important part of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which we've already talked about a little bit. But I I want to dig into that more because I think from a cultural and a style perspective, it's been so influential on LA as a city as a whole, but also the Jewish community in LA. And um, Bob, of course, plays Marty Funkhauser, rested peace to both the character and the actor. But I think Alana's favorite character on Curb, and probably a lot of people's favorite character on Curb, is Susie Essman's character. Um, and Susie Essman is, is a, an absolute um, treasure. But what is most wonderful about Susie, in my opinion, is her clothes. Alana, can we please talk about Susie Essman's amazing outfits? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's a style icon and she's only become more and more iconic as the show has gone on. I really, really noticed it, especially this last season where she's wearing like Fiorucci and like bringing out these ridiculous big um, designer pieces and um, just reading more about it that you know, she's never met with Larry about the character or what the character should wear. <laughs> she she just kind of, I mean, they have a stylist for the show, but the stylist is going based off of what Susie Essman thinks the character should wear. And she says in the history of the show, only once has he been like, that hat is ridiculous. Like, I can't do this scene with you wearing that hat. <laughs> but, you know, she. I love that she's sort of this larger than life, completely out of control <laughs> woman and, you know, her style is definitely in line with that. And she definitely presents as if she's like, I am, I've got this all together. Like, I totally, um, everything she wears, she wears with such confidence, even things that are just like obviously bad, and then they become good. Does that make sense? Oh, my God. Absolutely. And it's just like, to me, that's just like, there's something so specific and comforting about that, because it's just like, she reminds me of like, when I go to... Boca when I was a kid and I would just see people or Miami beach and I would just see people just wearing, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you can't wear like whatever that is. And <laughs> now I'm like, God, I wish people dressed like that more like the zero, you know, just not even caring. Coming from a line of like Jewish, like my, my grandmother, her name was Rose Levinson, although she changed her name to June Richmond halfway through her life. Long story mafia. Don't even ask, but her engagement ring was a that she requested was a tree, right? <laughs> and then with diamonds in the tree, and she would make him add more diamonds as like they went on in their marriage. Or like I inherited like this large gold locket with like a crescent moon. Like the gaudy Jewish woman is 
I, I don't know. I, I realized in, in thinking more about this, I was like, that is me. That is my heritage. Oh, and me too. Yeah, me too. And it's like totally normalized and okay. And I love that. And I don't know how that connects to then, you know, just thinking about the Holocaust and thinking about having to hide. Um, I mean, I guess there is a very obvious connection there that now, now we don't, but. Um, yeah. Knock on wood guys. Oh, hopefully, hopefully that, hopefully it stays. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm never sure. Yeah, I'm sorry, like, you know, I a lot of... I, of course. I'm sorry. I just had to go to the Holocaust. It's in a safe space. To me, it's like a lot of like a lot of I joke a lot about like the Jewish Italian handshake and how like these two cultures like I'm always OK when I see like an Italian person playing a Jew, you know, and sometimes vice versa. It depends. To me, it's like, you know, I watch like the Sopranos and I'm like, how do I relate to the, the way these people are dressed so much? Like, you know, and there's like certain things like certain things I'll watch. Jewish, not Jewish, whatever, certain cultures. Like when I'm in Chinatown, I'll see like an old Chinese guy. I'm like, that feels right. Like that guy's dressed like how I feel. Like I'm like, you know, to me, there's just like a certain aesthetic that I think kind of maybe comes from like being an immigrant in America or being first generation or being close to immigrants and just sort of appreciating this sort of vibe that a lot of these people give off that it's like hey i'm in a better place now at least compared to where i was i'm gonna enjoy life i'm gonna you know i joke i'm like the the thing that like all old men in new york have in common whether they're jewish or they're black or italian or russian or whatever is that when it gets too hot out everyone wants to sit outside on the sidewalk <laughs> with their shirt undone and just sort of lounge in the sun and i'm like that's the beautiful that's we're all human on that level um, we're all God's children there. But like, to me, it's just, there's something deeply beautiful about that. It's, you know, if, if you come from pretty much any culture and you had to come to America, likely because you had to escape something, you are going to enjoy that. And hopefully your kids understand that and they take that lesson and they sort of, you know, that's, that's to me, when you see a, an old Jewish person dress just like they, they literally robbed whatever, like they robbed the not the drip. It's it is, and I grew up seeing just like the drippiest old guys and the drippiest old women, and I was like, damn, that's cool, and like that's it. That's all it is to me. It's just respect. Yeah, I wonder if part of it is just like the accumulation of stuff in the kind of weird shops that exist in big cities, where it's like, yeah, we've got like knockoff Fendi purses, or we've got like fake ralph lauren windbreakers or whatever and it's just like it then just you accumulate this stuff from these weird places and then you put it together in any way you see fit and because you're not plugged into the trend you're doing what feels normal to you as an older person i, I think about mr mort a lot because mr mort is super known for like carrying that torch of like the old jewish man into the 21st century or new york nico or any of these sort of like style icons on the east coast i don't know if we have anybody like that here other than Susie Essman on curve your enthusiasm we're trying i don't know man i think i think you guys are doing a pretty good job you know i see some of the fits you guys throw off i know i'm showing a lot of chest hair today everybody can see it on on our our, our recording but you can't see it dear listener chest hair is an important part i think of jewish style in LA it's like also a lot of like I'm like whenever I see like your license plate I'm like boom license plate boom like you know it's like all the colors you like you know both of you guys are just very good at sort of taking just this appreciation of you know I don't know some people want to say like I, I don't like to make it a class thing I don't like to make it a taste thing because that's all relative to the person but it's just like you have an appreciation for what you like and you you make it you make it kill and I, that's that to me is like that's everything i want when i'm looking at someone's style i'm like if you are your your own person and you you rock it and you own it then i'm like i 100% respect you know the knockoff thing like you know you're talking about Susie Espin like when she plays the mom oh yeah on broad city when they go to do the um the knockoff purses. So good. I was like, God, this is so familiar to me. <laughs> and I love knockoff stuff because of that. You know, you were talking about, I was like, 
a friend of mine who shall go unnamed, but I will text you who it is after Dave. Thank you. Was like telling me they want to get a fake Rolex. And I'm like, I didn't even ask a question. Like, good. <laughs> get a fake Rolex. <laughs> That's baller. Get a fake Rolex. And thank you for telling me that's what you want. It's a mutual friend of ours, Noah Segan. He loves fake knockoff Gucci things. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of, des- I don't know if some of it is fake, nor do I care. I think it would maybe even be better, you know, if it was fake. Who knows? That's per- It's like, there's, when you get a really bad fake, like when you go to Mexico and you see, and it's like Gucci with one C or something like that. I love that. That would be Gucci, yeah. Gucci. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just so different from how wasps approach. It is, how do I draw the least amount of attention to myself possible? Yeah. It's just the opposite. Madras is as crazy as it's going to get for me. Yeah, my, what, go to hell pants. Um, <laughs> little, little embroidered t- golfers on them. But like I had... This great uncle Irv, who I mean, he was my mom's uncle, and his wife, my great aunt Marilyn, was nicknamed Jaja, to you know put it in some perspective. But I would see this guy, my uncle Irv, show up to family functions just dripping in gold, like it was always like um like a polo shirt, but just like gold uh, gold bracelet, gold bracelet, rings, two gold chains, and I was like. Damn. That, and he'd like be peeling off, like he'd have the wad of like a hundred dollar, one big wad with a hundred dollar bill or two, and then like a hundred singles. And he'd just walk up to all the kids and be like, hey, be good. Be good. <laughs> just handing out singles. And it it pacified us. He'd be like, yo, Uncle Irv said to be good. We're going to be good because he gave us a, a dollar. You know, that that to me, that's that's it. That's everything. Um, I have to ask everybody one question before we wrap up. And this is Usually I like to ask about your favorite mall, but I feel like because this is a minion, a meeting, a conclave of powerful Jewish minds, we have to talk about our favorite deli in Los Angeles. This is the question of the century. I'm going to start with our guest, Jason, favorite deli in LA. I'm going to say Langer's. Langer's is the best. Okay, good answer. Best deli, but... I do love going to Cantor's. I love just going to Cantor's and sitting there. It's a great vibe. I mean, in New York, everything gets played out so much. And if there was something like Cantor's, like the closest approximation would be Katz's. But you can't go hang out at Katz's. I love hanging out at Cantor's. Like I've gotten breakfast there like four times in the last week. The way I perceive Cantor's is this place that is a tourist trap on some level that the food is okay. It's pretty good, but it has just fallen into a certain level of disrepair and it doesn't feel like the owners are interested in it being good. It's just like, it's canters. You're going to come whether or not you like it. And I don't feel that at Langer's. I feel like Langer's is like the food (laughs) come here to have the food because it's delicious and at canters it's like come to canters if you want i don't know it's late and there's nothing else open what are you gonna do go go to ihop nope it's closed you would go to taco bell it's closed too come to late come to canters so i just I'm, I'm glad that you can show me canters with a different eye an eye towards this is not possible anywhere else and you should appreciate it so i'm gonna go to canners for breakfast sometime soon alana what is your favorite I completely disagree with you. I think Cantor's is incredible and like iconically LA. Well, tell me, tell me why. Well, first of all, I like the food there, but you know, I'm not an expert. I'm only half Jewish. Okay. Don't take my word for it, but. You're Jewish enough to appreciate food. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great Jewish deli, but the aesthetic of the place itself and like the history, like you just go in there and you know, like every Jewish Hollywood exec for however long that place has been open has been there negotiating a deal like that that kind of like vibe in there I love you know my dad used to go there back in the day so then when I first moved to LA we went there um something I love about Jewish delis in general is just like if you're Jewish like you have even if you've only been to a city once you have your Jewish deli that you like the best there and it's like it's like says something about your identity so for him it's Cantor's I kind of inherited that 
I just, I, I like that it's frozen in time. I like that it isn't trying to appeal to like a new crowd or like, it's just like, this is what this is. And it's been like this. So get the lukewarm coffee. I feel that way about Langer's. I just think that the food and, and the vibe is better at Langer's than it is at Cantor's. Cantor's is so big too. It's just like expansive. It's like the Bob's Big Boy in Burbank, which just keeps going and going and going. It's like, why is it so big? My favorite. I used to love Greenblatt's. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Greenblatt's on Sunset on the Strip next to the Laugh Factory. When I was doing stand-up, I would go to Greenblatt's every once in a while if I went to the Laugh Factory. But my favorite is Nate and Al's in Beverly Hills. Why? Just, I just went there the other day. And what do you think? I loved it. My uncle, I had a family. I miss being inside. The problem is you can't you can't eat inside. No, you can't now. It's open again. The inside. Yep. I ate inside. Oh my god. Oh it was nice. God. Very chill. Gotta, um, we can we go tomorrow? I'm, I'll, I'll be there. Just let me know. You gonna go tomorrow? I'll go. All right. T- text me. Text me about this. I want to go tomorrow. Oh my god. I haven't been inside in years because it's they closed it for COVID and they just had the like uh, sidewalk cafe vibe and you order ahead of time and there's no service or anything. I wanted to ask him like just give me what Larry King got. She didn't know. I think he had a specific order, right? I think he did. Yeah, I think so. But she didn't know. <laughs> the idea that Larry King ate there every day warms my heart so much because Larry King, the greatest Dodger fan of his era, would be at every playoff game, loves the team, loved the team from the Brooklyn days, brought that love here when they came here. And just like the quintessential Jewish man in LA, um, man about town. How many wives did that man have? Like 17 or something? Like, that is who I want to be, deep down. He's a man with many wives and one deli. That's all I need. And then he did like disown his whole family like a week before he died. Oh, I'm sure. Freeloaders, Jason. That's what they are. Freeloaders. I'll do the same. Can I just say the one thing? The one, besides all of this, and I, I hope people in Los Angeles appreciate this. I love a good side of fruit with my breakfast. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, to use a very uh, appropriate word, it's dreck in, in New York. It's like you get grapes and you're like, these are still frozen. What is this? Here you get nice fresh melon. And I know you don't like fruit, Dave. But, um, nope. When I, when I, I learned this the other night. What? How? We went to dinner, and they kept bringing us melon. A very expensive melon. He's like, it's very expensive. Can I get ice cream? <laughs> Can I get a pie? What is this melon? Melon. I. You don't like fruit? I any every kind of fruit. Pretty much. I mean, I'll have an apple here and there, strawberry maybe, but like, what is all this? It's the texture. It's like wet. It's wet. Bananas are my kryptonite. If a banana's in something, I will throw it up. Okay, whatever. That and Miracle Whip. If you put Miracle Whip in something, I'll also throw it up, which I did. I had the potato salad at Ready Chick at Brentwood Country Mart, and I put it in my mouth, and I threw up over the sink. Doesn't make sense. Why? No way. Miracle Whip. This is a thing that we cannot ever allow, is Miracle Whip. Anyway, I'm complaining too much. It's appropriate for the episode, but not appropriate for the end of the episode. I feel like this is good. You know, now that you're talking about all these other Jewish delis, honestly, like, it's hard to make the argument for why one is is better than the other. It's sort of like a sports team where it's like you, like, inherit an allegiance. Like, I like Cantor's because my dad likes Cantor's. But, like, and I could make arguments for why it's better than the others. But, like, it doesn't really matter. It's just that, you know what I'm saying? You cannot quantify it. You, you cannot put a number on it or a name on it. It is just a vibe. And I vibe with Nate Nails. I love Beverly Hills. Yeah, like I then then when you brought that one up, I was like, oh, that one's really good. Actually, should I have picked that one? I love Beverly Hills. And that that Beverly Hills Jew vibe is like untouchable. If you look at our forefathers and foremothers and therefore the ones the older Jews who made the Jewish deli a thing, it's just because it was there. They just like that's it. I just like a place to go. <laughs> yeah and it's like it's funny because like in new york it's hard i mean i've got like one little 24-hour diner that i go to but it's crap i mean it's it's i'm not going to say the name because god bless them 
but like it's a crap diner like everything on the menu nothing is good the fries are okay but i go there because it's a place i have all my meetings there jason i think i think you want to move here i think that that's what's coming through i think it's time don't don't let it don't let your wife listen in this episode yeah no yeah she's she's because then you're really gonna have to move here but I, i don't think i don't i think i need my uh I could see a few months a year in LA, but um, no, I need I need too much garbage, literal, literal <laughs> garbage. I need it piled up in front of my house. Yeah, while you walk down the street. Well, I'm I'm sorry to say that uh, we don't have garbage on the streets. We do have sadly people living on the streets here, which is a problem for another episode. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for for understanding our our home and uh, not being a snob about it because sometimes, you know, people could be snobby about New York versus LA and we don't allow that here. This is about validation. <laughs> but thank you again. Is there anything you want to plug that you've got coming out soon? Eh, no, not really. <laughs> That's the answer for the Jewish yeah. episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's what it is. I got, I got stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, no worries, buddy. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much. Take it easy, guys. Alana, you survived. I'm schwitzing. I am so sweaty. Out of my mind. I'm hot. I cannot believe how hot it is in LA right now. I have to close my windows, and then I've got my ring light on, and it radiates heat. And so for the entire recording, I was just like schwitzing. I feel like I'm in a Russian bathhouse right now Mm -hmm. instead of my apartment. Imagine with a fever, Dave. Imagine. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Have some tea. Have you gotten some matzo ball soup? Do you want me to order you some matzo ball soup? you know, someone offered yesterday from Cantor's, but I'm actually, I can't taste anything. So it's probably a waste, you know, I should just have some boiling hot water instead. Okay. Here is the Jewish mother in me that's about to come out. I know how to fix this because I had COVID and I lost my sense of taste. And what they tell you to do is get, I assume it's smell too, right? You don't have the smell anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Get some citrus, any kind of citrus. And just put it against your face every few hours and just sniff it. Hmm. You're retraining your nerve endings in your nose to smell again. Okay. Just intense citrus training. Love it. Sniff it. You don't have to eat it. Just smell it. Smell as many different kinds of things as you can, but citrus is apparently the number one. And mine just kind of came back as I kept doing this. Okay, good. Because that's my biggest fear is that it's not going to come back. It does. At least it did for me with a vengeance. And then I just started binge eating again. Oh. <laughs> I just started like, I want to eat anything. Well, as long as it was at a Jewish deli, it's supporting our people. Oh, I went to Langer's. I, I, I went to Langer's multiple times during, during COVID. I had it delivered. It, it, was, it was a lifesaver. Okay. Well, I might do that. You know, this episode was really great. Not only do we talk about Jewish delis, but we talk a lot about you know, what makes LA Jews unique. And I think actually, I really do think Jason wants to live here. He might not say that, but it's coming through. You know, and a lot of people from our our culture, our religion, they're not honest about what they really want. They defer to someone else, specifically their wives. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll say it. <laughs> Women are in charge of Jewish relationships. And I think Jason's wife is in charge, and she ultimately is going to be the one to dictate whether or not they move here. And he's going to be like, yeah, well, she just really wanted it. Well, I hope that happens for him. And he's going to do it because he's a good Jewish husband. Sounds like a good plan to me. I think so. You know what else is a good plan, Alana? Leaving a five-star review for free validation on Apple Podcasts and writing something. We haven't gotten a new review in a long time. Yeah. And I feel like that's because I haven't begged hard enough. So what I'm going to do is if you write a really good review, I will read it on the air. I will retweet you. If you're a big Twitter person and you want some exposure from an influencer like myself, please just write a review 
tell me what your handle is. I will retweet whatever you want. And I'll say, this guy rocks. Wow. Or this woman rocks. Or this person rocks. Whatever you want me to say. I'll say it. I'll text you no worries to your phone. Just so you remember that the world. NW. <laughs> NW. I would get that tattooed on my, on my forearm. Whatever you, I got to do to get you to write a review, I'm going to do it. Okay? I have no shame, which is what being in Los Angelino is all about. So please do that. And remember, first and foremost, Alana and I love you so much. Yeah. We really, we really want to give you free validation. So write in. So give us some. You fuck, you fuck faces. Bye. You motherfuckers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>